Saudi Arabia aren't there in terms of personnel. I mean that it was it was good crack slagging off Jack Grealish, but Almiron is shit. You know, <laughs> one of the long staffs. I don't know which one, Conan. One of them started the cup final. This is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. That morning sky gave me a look. So I left while you were sleeping. That's all it took. I once knew someone who said Chelsea should come here and wipe the floor with us. Can't remember that lad's name, but at the end of this game week, Aston Villa are now level on points with Chelsea. Aston Villa are looking up again. Unai Emery has got his motor in again. We've gone through a bad time and we've stopped the rut and we've moved on, we've moved forward, we've got the bounce, the swagger back in our step. We look like we're able to dominate weaker teams again it's it's good it's just a throwback to the old days when we used to enjoy football <laughs> and i don't know maybe maybe should we start with a real life whatsapp one should we just put our hands up here or should i just put my hands up here <laughs> <laughs> and read it out should i sure this, sure. this is not the game for emmy buendia <laughs> Emmy Wendia comes on the pitch, he gets a shit ball played to him in the halfway lane, he gets shrugged off, loses the ball, and I think, this is not what I need against Sean Dice's Everton. I need somebody who can rough them up, who's up for the battle. I, I'm basically saying, I need someone who can look me in the eye and tell me he's up for it. <laughs> I'm such a twat, aren't I? <laughs> well, I'm glad you finally acknowledged it takes the pressure off me to try to explain that over the next hour. <laughs> there's a real question here though like is there anything better than a win sorry is there anything but a win that can make you forget about and forgive and excuse a horrible 60 minutes of your life (laughs) does the fact that we were shit make the victory better Conan like is is the fact that we were largely outplayed by a Sean Dice side but came away with the three points funny yes 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 and absolutely is is it hilarious that particularly after how pissed off Emery was with how we played in our build-up play that we won this game against a Sean Dice side with a long throw-in and a runner off the first touch and a long ball and a runner off the first touch it's fucking side splitting Conan yeah maybe is 60 minutes harsh I think we were good for the first 14 minutes (laughs) <laughs> and you're right like what a victory does and what an away victory does and you know i love a 2-0 just total control it sounds like clean sheets obviously always a bonus but what it does is that it's just accentuates all the good things that you would always forget that game ends nil nil if we lose that game all those little moments are just forgotten like you know Dougie Louise's performance. Dougie Louise has got this running game going now where he's just bursting up the pitch whenever he wants. Bubakar Kamara's sexy hips are back. And, you know, these are the sort of things that you would just be like, oh, who gives a fuck if you lost the game? <laughs> and, like, all of football, like the rest of the football weekend as well, suddenly doesn't matter because you lost. But when you win, everything is magnified in the best way possible. Yeah, and, and even Emery's post-match press conference, he was positive. Well, obviously, because we won the game, but he did a really good job of pretending he was happy with that. I mean, he kept a straight face and everything. It might, it might have looked like he was rubbing his face a lot during the interview, you know, some sort of understandable nervousness nervousness, or, you know, a tick when you're speaking in a foreign language, and it can it can help you think as well. 
but he was just holding his chin to stop himself from laughing, Conan. I mean, he, he said he said last week when he was rightly pissed off that we had been training with a game plan, but but then on the pitch we didn't do it. And then after this game, he's praising the lads. I mean, I'm surprised he even talked about it. He was praising the lads for keeping a clean sheet, like how that was the foundation for the win, the target they had set. Because while the players definitely tried and had that aggression and looked like they, they wanted to win as a team, I don't think they were particularly well prepared for a Sean Dyche side. I mean, like Ramsey, Dina, McGinn and Cash defended the flanks really badly. But that just makes it hilarious. And uh, <laughs> the, 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 fact that, the fact that we let we let Sean Dyche have his only game plan and he did nothing with it. Like imagine being an Everton fan. And realizing that Dwight McNeil is your best attacker, yeah, like that—that'd be like realizing John Terry's your best mate. Like, imagine, <laughs> imagine being an Everton fan and having to listen to that pre-match entertainment as well. I—I I don't like pre-match entertainment as a rule, and and I know Everton are an old club, and I know Sean Dyche is a throwback manager. But it sounded like the music was being played on a fucking Wurlitzer, and Vera Lynn had been dug up to provide the vocals. <laughs> But last week, last week, Emery, Emery said he wanted the players to have the confidence to do things, to play, to build up, to control the game. I mean, we had about as much control of this game as Gabby Agbonlohar had of his waistline. And when we had, when we had the ball, we were we were far too eager, far too predictable. We were forcing things. I mean, Seamus Coleman was running around like an like an underage coach with low self esteem, teaching the Waynes a lesson. Like he was bullying Watkins and Dina and Ramsey when they were playing or receiving stupid passes from each other so essentially we did nothing to correct the performance against arsenal we implemented nothing that emery had identified that had gone wrong other than our goalkeeper didn't go up to try to score a goal in the 92nd minute but we still came away with a victory a gloriously unearned three points i mean essentially we cheated sean dice we cheated everton the spirit of john terry lives on in this aston villa team and it's fucking hilarious Amazing. Yeah, we walked into Sean Dice territory and said, go ahead, do what you want. And <laughs> what he wanted to do wasn't good enough. And there was a question being posed. I was talking to someone after and they asked, you know, do you think Everton will get relegated? And all I could muster was, I think that they might get a few crosses that, that might keep them up. Like that's what, that, <laughs> that's what I thought. That game plan is all I can think of. That's the only extent of Sean Dyche's game plan. That a few crosses, somebody might get their head on one of those crosses and they might get enough goals. But then I remembered their defense is shit as well. And this was the thing that kept them going against Burnley. At least they had that sort of horrible setup and might he might not have enough time to implement it. He can do all the bleak tests he wants, but <laughs> <laughs> and, and this was the beauty actually of, of an all UNI Emery press conference because he was asked afterwards about enjoying the victory and he said, Well maybe my friends and family can enjoy it. So I have to prepare for Crystal Palace. <laughs> Isn't it just lovely? You know when you just couldn't be bothered to do work yourself, like you know, especially us. We just sit here and rant and rave at whatever we see. I say Emmy Bundy is shite. <laughs> I say Emmy Bundy shouldn't play, and now I say Emmy Bundy is amazing. It's just good, you know, that somebody else is going to be doing all this work for us throughout the week. We know you and I, Emery, is going to just be head down preparing for Crystal Palace while I sit here and eat ice cream 
and sit here and sit here and just watch highlights. He's going to do all the work. He's going to prepare the team. I'm saying this as if I've got some sort of responsibility of Aston Villa, but it is good to know that somebody like that. There's a high achiever on your side, and you don't need to even hope for him to fail. And we don't even need to worry about our manager getting distracted by you know Instagram promotions or sponsored cars or whatever else. He's just going to be focusing on trying to beat Crystal Palace. Yeah, it's great, and there's not a day that goes by where I don't think the Lord that you're uh, not involved with Aston Villa Football Club. <laughs> uh, there's only one place, to, well, say start, there's only one place to keep going, <laughs> and that's the Onana show, really. That's that's what the first 60 minutes felt like, and I have to ask, what what was everybody's problem from an Everton point of view with with this decision to give Onana a yellow card? <laughs> Douglas Louise has a lovely little touch takes a, takes a lovely first touch in a tight area pokes it away down the left wing and Onana comes in a second and a half late uh, it's sort of like the sack tackle just straight into his ankle stands on him Douglas Louise goes down about a minute later after the play has unfolded Onana goes over to apologise to Douglas Louise and then looks mystified that the referee has said yeah by the way while you're here apologising for that stump here's the yellow card <laughs> And everyone's complaining. Defenders are running up. Did Pickford run up at one stage? Sean Dyche is over complaining. Sean Dyche is covering his mouth. Like, Sean Dyche needn't worry about covering his mouth. I, there is never a topic, never a conversation point that I won't know exactly where Sean Dyche's values and beliefs fall into. I will know <laughs> whatever we're talking about. I can tell you with a, an unbelievable degree of accuracy where Sean Dyche will fall in that topic. or <laughs> He does not need to cover his mouth, and I know for a fact that he obviously wants the boys to be able to stamp on whoever they can, because that's that's the game plan. Yeah, there were so many things wrong with this. I mean, the tackle was horrible. It was studs down the Achilles. And Onana's look of, I have to pretend I can't believe this. And then Sean Dyche's genuine face of, I can't believe this. <laughs> The game's gone soft. Like if you if you can't even stand on someone's Achilles in the first ninety seconds, what has the world come to? And I and I know that wasn't for the cameras. That wasn't to make Anthony Taylor second guess himself later on. Sean Dice thinks that that wasn't a yellow card. <laughs> and he does it again. He does it again a few minutes later on Leon Bailey. Like, don't worry about Leon Bailey's jumping over himself at the edge of the box. He's going to poke this ball somewhere. <laughs> And Onana just, just like, I think Bailey actually gave it away. He was in the process of giving it away, and Onana comes across and stamps on him as well. Very, very lucky. And then that, like that, also just uh, what ensued was a pile of players running around the referee to say, "What the fuck? What's your problem?" But I don't know. Like we'll come back to to some of this to some of the Everton players' attitude uh, towards the referee as well. But we suppose we should just celebrate. We should celebrate the fact that. <laughs> Ten minutes in, we should enjoy this win. We should celebrate <laughs> the fact mostly that Mad Cash's long throws are back. Where the fuck's he been hiding these? He can reach the box. He can get it in there. He can find uh, Emmy with the the big man of his back to goal. Like just get that ball into him. As long as it's not in the halfway line, then I then I can be worked with. But what a touch from Emmy Bundy. It must have been his first touch. He was just on the pitch. A lovely, lovely tee up of John McGinn and Jesus. He saw Adresa coming and a terrible, stupid tackle. I thought McGinn was 
I was initially thinking, move! Like, what are you doing? <laughs> You've just been teed up on your left foot in the box. You have the sight. Took his time, but uh, he probably knew that some, something like that was going to happen, considering the type of tackle we've been seeing. Yeah, imagine that being your first touch in any game of football from Buendia. It's absolutely delightful. It was my two favourite things, Conan, vision and execution. A great idea, delightfully pulled off. And it's brilliant from McGinn to take it on the run. And Idrissa obviously feeling remorseful for not speaking up, for not telling Gabby to pull his finger out of that fucking donut. Dives in, <laughs> dives in for the ball. <laughs> He was in for a ball he's not going to get. Like he either miscalculated how much space John McGinn's arse takes up, or he just didn't have enough halftime jellies and didn't have enough left in the tank to go around, so he decided to go through him instead. <laughs> like Ollie Watkins wasn't sleeping either. Whenever Danny Ings was stepping up to take all these penalties, was he? <laughs> and there's a lot of people. There was a lot of people. There's a lot of people worried about Danny Ings leaving and who was going to be taking the penalties after that. And Ollie Watkins has done nothing to ally my fears, which persisted during the Danny Ings time at the club as well. <laughs> there was a there was a very telling moment straight after the kick when Ollie Watkins looks up to see what exactly has happened because he has to check, of course, to make sure that the keeper hasn't just stood there and caught the ball, or or maybe maybe just that unsavable arc that we're all told the hit just becomes anything that's six foot off the ground when you have to beat Jordan Pickford's alarms. Yeah, yeah. But hang on. Yeah, six foot off the ground is right. He kicked that ball. He came through that ball like he was stroking a goal kick, that he wanted a goal kick to <laughs> hang in there. I didn't like that strike. Now, I loved Ollie Watkins, and I love Ollie Watkins looking at Danny Ings all this time and thinking, this can't be that hard. I'm just going <laughs> to do the same. But he came through it. He came under it. He lifted it into the roof. And it, was, it was nice when you look at it back, but yeah, I can't get that. Like th- this was the first goal as well. It's your striker taking a penalty. I want Ollie Watkins to score a fifth goal in five games. We'll come back to what a hero he is. But Jesus, the nerves I already have around us, and then I don't need to see him striking through it. Like he's looking to lob it up for a header for himself. <laughs> <laughs> but two two of my favorite things you're talking about a touch and vision there. Two of my favorite things we always know this is is Matt Cash long throw, and. <laughs> And it's a Tyro Mings long ball up to Ollie Watkins. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Like we, we've gone through shit. We've seen a lot of bad stuff happen and a lot of bad stuff happen from these very moves. We deserve these. We deserve these on Saturday. And lovely ball up from Tyro Mings, it must be said. Amazing touch from Ollie Watkins. And again, John McGinn, the timing of the run is brilliant. Uh, the burst, just a, a bit of power there to come from right to left. His ball to Buendia isn't great. Think <laughs> it's safe. He puts it behind him. And that means Buendia has to cut back. Then Buendia realises it's it's Connor Cody. So I'll just go back again the same way that I pulled back from. Then Tarkowski ta- tackles Connor Cody. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> He's standing behind Connor Cody as Buendia's going on down to the left. Tarkowski kicks Connor Cody and Buendia rattles it in. Great, great finish. It was such a nice goal. It's it's an amazing touch from Watkins. John McGinn again does well to make the run and like you say, takes the ball on the run as well. And then he does the right thing, gives it to Mindy. And it's not a brilliant pass. Oh. It's slow things slows things up. But then then you have to question John McGinn's decision making capabilities because he's there in the background screaming for the ball back. As if Buendia wasn't one-on-two with Cody and Tarkovsky. <laughs> or, or, 
or the other way to put that, one-on-one with Jordan Pickford. I mean, I have never, never seen anybody move their body worse than Connor Cody after Buendia's little shuffle. Yeah. Until I saw the replay and saw Tarkovsky in the background. I mean, my God. Did the pair to managed to look more dead than that time Jerome Boateng played dead when Lionel Messi lined him up? <laughs> the worst thing about that is at least Boateng moved. Yeah. And then Pickford is raging with the pair of them, and he's right, but you've lost all the weight in your argument if you're having the ball spank past you at your near post from a corner, from the corner of the six-yard box. I mean, Pickford has to get out quicker and better. And you, and you might think he can't have been expecting Buendia to go through there, but Pickford has played with these two lads now for 25 games. He has to be ready for anything, <laughs> and for that anything to be heavily stacked towards people just walking past. Connor Cody and James Tarkovsky. <laughs> it probably has to come into the the PGMOL reviews the the clear goal scoring opportunity. If you've got Connor Cody, Tarkovsky, and Pickford in your way, <laughs> that is a clear goal scoring opportunity. And for any opposition manager and for any opposition player, if you've got Connor Cody, Tarkovsky, and Pickford, you have to go. You have to take them on. <laughs> that is your chance. Get at them. Uh, yeah, it was a very fun goal to watch from start to finish, especially <laughs> with the finish with those two clumpets tackling each other. But uh, <laughs> again, I think we'll come back to these two. I want to talk about Cody actually in WhatsApp. We can just see you there. <sighs> we have to do this again. Five, five yellows now for time wasting for Remy Martinez. Can I put forward a case? for him because I feel bad that we're just you know this is going to be a fifth week now it's over a month of of, of fines for Emmy Martinez was this the worst bit of time wasting that you've seen no definitely not from him is probably a, a bad comparison <laughs> to make like here has Emmy Martinez time wasted more than this in the past yes he has <laughs> I didn't particularly think this was that bad this time it's just it's sort of what we go back to last week people around him referees are looking out for it they're not being caught by this little fucker and straight away yellow card I thought it was a bit rash from Anthony Taylor it was the only thing that Anthony Taylor the only decision Anthony Taylor made in real time it was just the quickest thing he did all game and it was and it was probably just because of last week imagine getting booked for time wasting because of the game the week before <laughs> yeah I thought he was a couple of times he went down on the ball and you could tell he would think about it, or just it's his natural instinct now to stay down, do it, but then he really have to pop up. Although, there's nothing more annoying, in fairness, than when you see him pop up in those instances and he starts running out because he sees something, and then the camera fucking cuts back to whoever missed the shot, and we're watching it will be or whatever, and it's like, show me what, show me the play! And it cuts back <laughs> to the play, and it's Emmy Martinus standing at the edge of the box, still holding the ball. <laughs> You've only yourself to blame, Conan, for getting annoyed at that. Yeah. So that is a fifth booking now. Against United, he got it. Against Brighton, against Leeds, against Arsenal, against Everton. That's that's insane. We said he was going to get suspended. Thankfully, I forgot about that rule. Where after a, a half of the season, then the, the the yellow card quota that you need to hit to get suspended goes up. So we're, it's, it's being delayed. The misery's being delayed. The Robin Olsen... Uh, comeback tour is being delayed for us for now but it's <laughs> it's on the way it's on the way the only other thing I was thinking about for uh, fines this week I don't think we've ever done this before definitely might have mentioned it before this is a general complaint running the ball out of play why do we have players who run the ball out of play well, I know Leon Bailey does it maybe we've kept an eye on that before but 
Ramsey did it against Coleman. Like, yeah, you were right, Coleman was just stripping the ball off people to start. Ramsey freaking out down the left, runs out of room and just keeps running out, out of play. And then McGinn on Mayalenko, he, he tries to get round him. It's like, this guy's not a good defender. Don't worry about it. Like, just stand up the ball again if you have to. But he, he just put his head down and started charging until, again, he was off the pitch. <laughs> we have to stop running off the pitch with the ball. Yeah, I think Ramsey had just lost the ball a couple of times and he wanted to prove that he was faster than 34-year-old Seamus Coleman yeah. or something. I don't know what was going on there. It was mental. And sure, look, John McGinn's got his head down. It's hard enough for him to see where the lines are on the pitch. So <laughs> have a bit of sympathy with him. Uh, first WhatsApp wins. Where Where's Coutinho now? <laughs> Fuck's sake. Like, we get a good game out of him. We had a good 30 minutes before that. And he's gone, injured again, hamstring injury. I think. Come on, like I want, I'm here. I'm rooting for you. I want to do a Buendia on you. Let me elevate you. Continue. Where have you gone? <laughs> and the really annoying thing is, as well, that we had a good performance from Buendia today. So that means he's definitely going to be shit against Crystal Palace. So we really need <laughs> Felipe Coutinho to not be injured. Yeah, and I think. Emery said afterwards that Coutinho will probably be injured against Crystal Palace as well, unfortunately. The second one I had, uh, you wouldn't like it, so I'm just going to skim over it. It was just that it was going to be some sort of black kit complaint. Like, did we need to wear a black kit today against Everton in blue? We've got a perfectly good away jersey. Just wear that. We've got a perfectly good home jersey that would fit very well against Everton. Just you know, We all know the stats on this black kit. and It's just a, just a boring-looking kit. We look like a we look like a worse, more cumbersome team, but anyway, I'll, I'll leave. I'll spare you that one. The, you I'll spare me that one. one saying it at the top there. Go on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll spare you that one and move on to this one. Why are John McGinn and Jacob Ramsey still liking Jack Grealish Instagram posts? Right. A week, yeah. a week, a week and a half, two weeks after a fucking dive. Like, just, just give me a few weeks of not engaging so publicly with him. Yeah, I mean, they're not exactly engaging publicly by liking. You have to go into their likes to find out what they've liked, do you not? I don't know how this works, Conan, and I don't really care, to be honest. Don't bother answering that. Move on to a WhatsApp win. (laughs) (laughs) The last WhatsApp win is the most important one, to be fair. I thought Conor Cody was supposed to be likeable. Why is this guy making... Making international teams. What's going on here? I thought that was his whole thing, that he was likable. Why is he always being interviewed by Sky? Thought it was because he was likable. This guy ever shut the fuck up? He like he never shut up. He was always in the camera. He was always in the referee's face. He was always in somebody else's face. Really annoying. You see him on Douglas Louise in the corner, shouting to the ref because Douglas Louise is facing him. Yeah, like, is this the sort of thing that he thinks makes him seem like a a battle-hardened centre-half? Just... just be a better centre half, I would say. <laughs> Just move your body whenever somebody who's not fast is running past you in the box. That'd be a good start <laughs> as well. Connor Cody is one of the biggest twats in the Premier League. This shouldn't be coming as a surprise. See, Connor Cody has twice headed the ball out for a corner and then pretended to be concussed. I mean, what a fucking scumbag. He's an absolute dickhead. And the fact that you think that maybe Connor Cody is supposed to be nice, that's just because Jamie Carragher is his mate. It's not because he's actually nice. It's because some lad who's spat a 14-year-old girl is his mate. That's the only reason <laughs> you think Connor Cody is a nice lad. 
That was a drive-by on poor Jamie Carragher <laughs> on the side of the sidewalk there. But um, yeah, the Cody thing. Cody's on my radar now. I think it's after the Liverpool game too. I don't know if people remember. Well, they remember the Gakpo goal and they remember Cody's decision to not touch the ball. It was like a, a Kepa decision for Chelsea. He did another one today where it hit the post and he watched it roll past him and he went to lift it and let it go to see what would happen in the six-yard box instead. <laughs> <laughs> Cody does the same where the ball's rolling across. He can firstly clear it. He can secondly take a touch. But thirdly, he lets it go to see what's behind him. Let's just let's just buy the ticket to see what's going on behind here. And Gakpo's there, and Gakpo knocks it into the empty net. And Cody says in the interview afterwards, it's embarrassing, and at least, at least, I think it was Neville, in fairness, probably less so Carragher, called him out for making that mistake after. But he, he, not only did he try to absolve himself of blame, he name-checked, he name-checked Seamus Coleman. <laughs> <laughs> Should have been there. Seamus Coleman, who, if he was watching the play, would have seen that he was occupied at the edge of the box. He name-checked himself. I thought he was going to be there to deal with it, even though he could have just dealt with it himself. Uh, like Ever since that, I thought, what does Southgate see in this guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we'll leave WhatsApp windows there and we'll come back with the awards. See you then. Good evening. I wanted to speak directly to our supporters to confirm the transfer of our captain, Jack Greedlish. And now we've been gutted, organ donors for the rich, Boston's taking our kidneys, Yankees are taking our heart. And to explain the background to this move. It's an unfair game. We offered Jack a new contract to stay at the club. Like this is business as usual. It's not. We agreed to incorporate a so-called release clause into his contract. Billy, that's trouble. Billy, if I may, uh, he certainly has had his problems off the field. Jack finally decided that he would like to go to City. We're trying to solve a problem here, Billy. Not like this, you're not. You're not even looking at the problem. We have planned accordingly. We've got to think different. It was never our intention to replace Jack with one footballer. Guys, we're still trying to replace Gianni. I told you we can't do it. Can't do it. Our strategy was to analyze and break down Jack's key attributes. Now, what we might be able to do is recreate him. Recreate him in the aggregate. What? A walk. His creativity, his assists, his goals. That's what we're looking for. And to find these qualities and others in three forward players. Three ball players, three ball players. And in doing so, have also reduced an over-dependency on one brilliant footballer. Add that up and you get... Emiliano Buendia, Leon Bailey and Danny Ings. They truly are the future. If we try to play like the Yankees in here, we will lose to the Yankees out there. I don't know what that means. I think we need to give Jordan Pickford some credit here as we go into the Rosenthal Award. It's reminding me of that thing that we say when we're praising or usually when commentators are praising or pundits are praising a player for not doing something particularly good, a player who's really good. It's like, don't worry, he'll do something good. We don't need to make up things to to praise him for. Jordan Pickford will do enough stupid stuff, enough daft stuff, enough shit stuff. 
that we don't need to make up stuff or ignore the stuff that he does do well. And there's probably a question mark over the first save because he did. It's a bit of the, it's a bit of the lounge on Van Dyke, wasn't it? That time that he, he put Van Dyke out for the season when he came out on Ollie Watkins, but <laughs> it was ultimately a good save, I think. <laughs> yeah, and I think the key thing is, is he made a save and it was on the pitch, whereas the Van Dyke one just seemed to be happening off the pitch and after the ball had gone he did have to get out he did block Ollie Watkins shot amazing ball from Bubakar Kamara over the top amazing touch from Ollie Watkins just got it down in front of himself got the shot in and I think it was a good Pickford save great ball from Kamara you know there's no such thing as a bad ball over Connor Cody's shoulder and it's a (laughs) it's a it's a brilliant run and incredible touch from Watkins and you're right I want to say Jordan Pickford got lucky with the ball hitting his back leg but this is exactly like when I slag off English commentators for praising Harry Kane for putting his jersey on the right way around. I don't need to slag off Pickford for this. He's Jordan Pickford. <laughs> He'll do something stupid in a second. Yeah, and I think he did make another really good save. It was the Watkins header from the look at Dean Cross. I think Watkins didn't hit it as true as he could have. He got it down and he got it to the side. You know, an keeper, it might have gone in. I think it was a good save for Pickford to get it off the post, but maybe it just looks more dramatic because he's got smaller arms. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, an absolutely brilliant ball down the line from JJ, and the cross from Dinia is absolutely perfect. And because of both those two things, the header's dreadful from Watkins. I mean, he gets it down, but he gets it down about two inches off the off the line, which means it just bounces back up. So he, he needn't have bothered putting so much effort and get this header down, Connor. <laughs> and Jordan Pickford. Yeah, it's a good. It's a really good save from Pickford. It's incredible that he gets across and tips it up onto the post. But Watkins has to score. Let's get back to the Onana show. So Onana got the header in from the Michael Linko cross. And it's a good save from Emmy Martinez. 3D Emmy Martinez is back. You know, another goalkeeper who only works in a 2D plane might get caught with that. But Martinez realises... I can just go back here and tip it over the crossbar. Yeah, you know, if it goes in, we're probably criticizing him in fairness, but I think it's just the way he saves shots that I like. He sees it, he sees it a bit slower than others. That's a, it's an amazing save. I mean, the header's inside the six yard box. It's the, the build up to it though, I mean there's a big there's a big shout of handball that goes up after McNeil yeah. smashes the ball off Matty Cash's face. And that's enough for Leon Bailey to stop playing. I mean, it's, <laughs> Like, sorry, is, is there any real point in being disappointed with Leon Bailey for not getting back? It's like leaving a fucking, leaving a steak in your kitchen table and then being annoyed at the dog for eating it. John McGinn pretends he thinks Bailey is going to get back out to make a lingo yeah. and leaves him at it. Looks at Leon Bailey and says, oh, that's that cover. I don't need to get out there and just leaves himself standing in the box like a spare dick. Get out! You've played with Leon Bailey now for two years. You know what he's going to do. Fucking nothing. Yeah. And before that, you've had practice with Bertie T. Like we, we like the, <laughs> the muscle memory should be there. Like just tune in. And what, what do you think? Do you think Bailey would have preferred the penalty there, just so we had to stop all this nonsense of defending and tracking boys back? <laughs> when he heard the, when he heard the protest from the crowd, do you think he was like, yeah, yeah, sort of putting his hand up as well? <laughs> stop the play, yeah. <laughs> Other one, big one, big, big one for Everton. Initially, I thought that our tactic, you know, where we talk about sinking deep, I thought our tactic of having bodies literally lying across the byline, across the end line, <laughs> was finally going to pay off. <laughs> when Ezra Cons, I don't know what's happening, Ezra Cons is just lying along the end line and the ball hits him when a Wobie volleys one in 
And I thought, oh, it's finally paying off. Like, I mean, boys can just sink this deep and lie there and see what happens. But then I look back at it, and I don't even think it was going in. I don't even think he was covering the line that well. He was covering the wide. The shot was going wide, and he seemed to knock it back into the dangerous area. And I think it's Neil Mopai who's who's getting on to the end of it, and Martinez... Martinez is out on him quick, so it's not really a clean strike. And Mings is, it's very cool from him just to get it away that that close to danger at, at uh, right right on the line. That's an incredible nod down from Kanza for a Wobi initially. I mean, he does brilliantly to keep it alive because that ball's just <laughs> it's it's just floating out of play, and he he picks out his man brilliantly. It's just like Mings' perfect touch for Saka, but then. Like, you know, Kansas back heel just shits all over the two of those. Like the the back heel is absolutely outrageous. <laughs> to get that to get that up and over Martinez from that from the byline like that is just absolutely something special. And Martinez does really well. Mings does better. Bit weird for him to go with out with his left foot, I thought. Yeah. But it's a, it's a brilliant clearance, particularly because the first touch comes at him so quick and is deflected into the net. He does well to adjust. He did like he, he took his time looking at it. You know, <laughs> it was the right thing to do. He, he didn't panic. He didn't freak. A lot of people would just lash that into their net in a panic. But he, uh, yeah, maybe maybe the left foot was a bit unorthodox. But he he, he waited up. He, he weighed up all his options seemingly in that time that it was rolling towards our goal, <laughs> and he, he got he got rid of it. Anyway, was the main thing. What do you think was the? I mean, the Watkins header was big as well. The Onana header, maybe the Onana header was the biggest miss in the end, was it? Yeah, but I, I would expect more from Watkins there. I mean, Watkins is a centre-forward, and Anna is a brilliant footballer, but he's he's not a forward. There was other ones as well. Like, Everton had a couple of other big chances. Wobie as well. It was a really strange one where Matt Cash actually thinks that Neil Mopai is going to try and take the ball past Ezra Konza. So he just, <laughs> so he just lets the overlap happen. And, I, and I'm not sure what was worse. Like, not automatically tracking his man or thinking that Neil Mopai is a real footballer. And then McGinn does well enough to put a bit of pressure on it. Will be, I think this was in the first couple of minutes as well. And then there was another one towards the end uh, when Sims came on. Again, down the wing, Moreno, Moreno turned the long way around. I mean, he started he started turning his body the right way and then he changed his mind and spun around 270 degrees. It was fucking ridiculous. And Everton just get in down the wing again and think it in and then the ball sat up perfectly for Sims on the volley and he absolutely skies it. But I don't think either of those chances take away from Ollie Watkins. Well, let's get back and let's start talking about Ollie Watkins. Ollie Watkins, the hero. The Tim Sherwood, we play two number 10s and bamboozled them award. Really a lot of credit. They always have to go to Emery for getting this from Ollie Watkins. This is five goals in five games. And he's not stats padding. Hasn't scored a hat-trick in there somewhere. Hasn't scored a brace. He's gotten five goals in five different games. And it's, it's Jamie Vardy run though, really. And it's a, it's a Jamie Vardy run, 2016 run, obviously, that... In terms of <laughs> prolific goal scoring, <laughs> that, that very specified run of Jamie Vardy's, but and it's it's got all the Ollie Watkins trimmings that we'd expect, or all the Ollie Watkins bone skeletal structure. Really, it's just he's <laughs> brilliant. Like it's, I know we sort of labour this point, and we often have this debate amongst Villa fans as well when he's not scoring about everything he does. Give you. Watkins is just brilliant. He's a brilliant footballer. I really love him, and I really love that he's scoring now, and I love that he. He knows he has to score, and it sounds like such a simple thing, but he's put that pressure on himself. I think it was put on him by getting rid of Danny Ings as well. In a way, it worked way better. Like sometimes you think a bit of competition is good, 
but I don't think with this fan base, you really need that. Like everybody's got a bit of pressure applied to them. Villa Park has their thumb just sitting ready to push down on players if they're not if they're not uh, pushing it themselves and. Getting rid of Danny Ings took away the excuse of Ollie Watkins, or or even took away the comparison. Well, Ings is only scoring five goals, like you know, so it's not too bad that I'm scoring two. <laughs> it's like no, if you don't score, nobody's fucking scoring, and we're not winning games. And you know, there's obviously so much more than just getting rid of Danny Ings that Emery has done for Ollie Watkins this game. But he's playing brilliantly and he's scoring goals so consistently. It's it's amazing to see. Yeah, Emery has done an absolute ton of work with Ollie Watkins and with Aston Villa obviously I mean you have to remember as well and this is really testament to Ollie Watkins we were fucking shite unbelievably bad apart from five games the start of Gerrard's reign for the last season and a half before Emery took over like really shit really bad under Dean Smith at the start of the season decent bounce back from under Steven Gerrard and then fucking dog shit for another 25 games and despite all that Ollie Watkins has is going to end up having three seasons in a row with double figures, which is so unusual for an Aston Villa player. Christian Benteke is probably the last person to do it, and I can't think of who was the last person to do it before him. Like it's it's an incredible it's an incredible statistic to do that for a team that are mid table, and for a lot of those mid table runs have been fucking dreadful. I mean, even the Ollie Watkins' first season. Jack Reedy's get injured in February. We were fucking atrocious until May that, that time. And he still ended up with 16 goals that season. Only got 11 last year. And then he had, whatever it was, 15 games under Gerrard this year. I know he's, he's got nine goals already this season. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very enjoyable seeing a striker in, in top form like he is. And all those... Yeah, we can compare it to Gerard and, and all the bad ones we've had before. You see, even like we're talking about that John McGinn run coming off Watkins. It's just such a, it's such a clear change. Him having that support, having the runners coming off, having those players closer to him, getting more chances. Ah, it's it's just it's it's good to see. It's good to see an idea again as well, more than anything else. And. Con, it's so simple having a manager telling him where he should be on the pitch as John McGinn and Tyrone Mings will tell you. <laughs> Do you remember, in fairness, if you go back to, to genius managers, do you remember Tim Sherwood getting the most out of Christian Benteke as well? Like against Spurs, he had seven odd touches and it was so simple. It was like, yeah, just give Benteke the ball and we'll start from there. We'll, we'll work it through him. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. Like, yeah, a good manager will look at the like, Obviously, Emery has a way that he wants to play, but you also have to look at the tools at your disposal and figure out how you're going to integrate them into it and adapt your adapt your system slightly based on the strengths of your players and Ollie Watkins is an undoubted strength. I love that I've slipped a comparison of Tim Sherwood and Unai Emery on the defence here. The <laughs> going on to the other nomination of the Tim Sherwood we play two number tens and bamboozled them award is the <laughs> the midfield dominating, especially against weaker teams. So we've mentioned Kamara we mentioned Douglas Louise at the top of the show as well. They're they're just running the show when they're coming up against teams that aren't as good as them. But you have to remember, right? For how long? For how up until Emery? For how long was were we always outplayed in midfield? For how often were we saying midfield is a problem? How often did we decry the or bemoan the three names of McGinn, Ramsey, and Dougie all starting together. We couldn't couldn't get away from this fucking midfield, even though we all <laughs> liked we all liked these players individually. We knew that it didn't work together, 
And here we are. Here we are again, Ramsey and Dougie in midfield together, along with Bubakar Kamara. And it's just, <laughs> just, you're gonna slap that under there and just keep going. Oh, yeah, Bubakar Kamara's there as well. But anyway, the other three are there, and for some reason, it now works. <laughs> but it is working. Like, in fairness, we, we've mentioned this before. Gerard deserves credit for for getting Kamara in the door, but he didn't really play him then. I <laughs> didn't get the most out of him. But here we are now. It's uh it's Jesus. It's a dream stuff. Like we we've definitely. We've got a consistent baseline of midfield anyway. I know it's not always on it, but it is for the most part. And that like that's been a massive upgrade in this new regime. Absolutely. And I thought the four of them were were really, really good. Yes, or yesterday, yeah. The the four of them played well despite despite how annoyed I was in the first hour. And this was something I couldn't figure out because none of them seemed to be doing that much wrong, particularly on the ball. They were the only people who seemed to be able to pass it. And I was trying to figure out what is going wrong here. How come we're so shit and so under pressure, even though our midfield is functioning well, mm. even though the movement's good between them, the interchanges are good between them. It was a strange one to figure out. But Bubukar Kamara is an absolutely massive difference. Douglas Louise, once again, looks like one of the best midfielders in the league. It's incredible just because he's got someone next to him he can trust, someone he can trust defensively, and someone that he can trust on the ball as well. Yeah. These two pass the ball to each other. It's a big, big difference as well. They, they, the rest of the team look at passes and think, I'm not playing that. Whereas Douglas Louise and Kamara are looking for each other. They're playing each other trickier passes and they're going to get it back off each other because they can trust that the person will take the touch and pass it back. And because they can trust that the other person will run as well. You don't mind receiving the ball because you know you can give it back to the person who's just popped it off to you. It's incredible. The transformation of Douglas Louise since Kamara came in is absolutely incredible. Ah, football's great sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> But we do have to go to the You Like Glenn Whedon Take a 90th Minute Penalty Award because we're talking there about the midfield. That McGinn was really good. His use was really good. I saw a stat actually that he had the least amount of touches in the game for Villa. It's fine. He got two assists. He played well. He, we, we talked about him being Rat McGinn last week and here he was now adding a bit of end product to it as well. Was was the right-hand side a bit lopsided? Because McGinn was, was very, very central Like when we had the ball. And Bailey, Bailey was, Bailey was seemingly sometimes supposed to, at a stage I was wondering, is this a bit more of a 4-2-3-1 with McGinn in the centre and Bailey outright? But but then Bailey was sort of up front a bit more, closer to Watkins for the most part. And it just, it, it just felt like we were missing a presence on the right-hand side, <laughs> especially when Bailey was out there, but also when, <laughs> Bailey, when Bailey wasn't out there, there was nobody out there and Cash wasn't really getting forward either it was strange it didn't really seem to work that wasn't that wasn't where any of the play was from our perspective i mean it was a lot down there from the everton perspective <laughs> <laughs> and yeah we just couldn't we couldn't get that side of the pitch to work to work well i don't know if cash cash found himself in a tricky situation of trying to do what ashley young was doing but also trying to go forward as well and that wasn't working leon bailey was an absolute waste of space i'm sure we'll come back to him and yeah john john mcginn talking in <clears throat> Obviously took away. It should have freed up Matty Cash, but Matty Cash didn't know if he was allowed to go or not. It seemed like to me. Sometimes he seemed reticent. Sometimes he went when it wasn't on as well. The balance wasn't there. You're absolutely right. Let's talk about an obligatory nomination, I think, for the Ulick Glenn Whedon taking 90th minute penalty award. 
Luca Dean coming on after setting up a clear goal scoring opportunity or coming off. Is that is that, surely that just needs to be an automatic nomination? Does he not just need another minute now? Does he not qualify for another play? He just he's just whipped in a gorgeous cross. Ollie Watkins should put it away. And we're taking him off straight after it. I mean, you're talking about somebody doing one thing in the space of 55 minutes and complaining <laughs> that he was being brought off. <laughs> yeah, but he did that one thing just before he got brought off. Yeah, and what a way to go out. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there was absolutely nothing wrong with giving Luca Dina the, the curly finger after the performance he put in. You could, you could have taken off. I, I, I If any... if. Leon Bailey was obviously going to come off, but if either of the two fullbacks or Jacob Ramsey came off, it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been a massive surprise. I obviously like Jacob Ramsey, but I could see why some people might have been annoyed annoyed by his performance a little bit. But he just looks so calm on the ball, so aggressive when he's carrying it, and so isolated and on his own because fucking Luca Dina was playing behind him left back. That oftentimes he was caught on the ball and didn't have the out pass that he should have. Yeah, I thought Ramsey was good. Like he, just, he had that running power back. He was more narrow when he was doing the running as well. It looked dangerous going at Cody too. Like all for that. Yeah, I thought if we're going to transition to the Vyman meter, I thought I thought uh, Ramsey was going up probably. No, the only the only problem I had with Ramsey is I don't think he had as much confidence as he should have when he's on the ball. He was passing it off. He was popping it off too early. He gave Watkins a couple of balls where it's like ah, Jacob you could have kept carrying that sometimes it works well because the defenders aren't expecting the pass either but if the centre forward isn't expecting the pass then it's not fucking ideal there's a couple of times where he should have shot could have carried it for longer but like yeah his passing his touching it's just everything he does is just so aesthetically pleasing that it's hard to ever be truly annoyed with him my only annoyance with him is because I know he's better than he showed yesterday yeah here he, he does need to let fly a bit more in terms of from outside the box, like those, those runs are so fast, and and they catch defenses on the hops. And most defenses are always scrambling because you just have this explosive player running straight through the heart of them, and he's got the opportunity because Watkins then runs and he sees the run. And he starts looking for the run. He he's thinking about right, what's the right thing to do now. Sometimes the right thing to do is you just you've got the space because of how fast you've been. Just have that shot now. Work the keeper. Get the corner. You know, get the crowd up, whatever. Like, get the bit of momentum. You, you've earned the shot. You've run forty yards. Like you're the one who's got us into this position. And yes, like sometimes the the right move isn't going to be stopping or playing the ball to the side or playing the ball to somebody who's got a man on them. It's just, it's just sort of slowing the game down. Sometimes it is a let's just go for it, like shit or bust, all or nothing. To just just go, 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 have a shot, and then you know we can just reset anyway. There is a weird thing about really nice footballers. They like to do really nice things and they just have to have that coach style as well. And sometimes playing a little delicate pass is just it's just too hard to resist when what you should do is something just bog standard and just fucking spank the ball because you're free on goal and you're Jacob Ramsey. You don't need to try to play this intricate, perfect pass through Ollie Watkins' feet. Have a fucking last, Jacob. Welcome to the dark side, Liam. Welcome to the dark side. <laughs> Just have a fucking shot, lads. Just go out there and want it and have a shot. Let's, uh, let's continue with the Vyman meter. Going down, Leon Bailey, you think so? <laughs> like this, this was not the fucking game for Leon Bailey. I mean, I, I spent I spent the last whatever it is, 47 minutes, worried 
that you were going to mention something from the first five minutes of the second half because I wouldn't have seen it. I mean, I was I was trying to figure out during those five minutes how Leon Bailey had come out for the second half. You know, who who had smuggled him out in the, the change room? Like I, I was wondering how I had never noticed before how much Buendia looks like Leon Bailey. I was wondering why is John Duran wearing the number 31 shirt? You know, I, I was I was trying to refocus the projector because something wasn't right. Because at no point that I think it could be possibly the case that Leon Bailey had survived Unai Emery's halftime team talk. Like, you know, even even if, as Unai was breathing in and breathing in through the nose and out through his mouth, collecting himself before he went into the change room and he was thinking, I'll give them another 15 minutes. I didn't think Bailey could survive that team talk. Like, no matter how calm Unai was, just as he was talking about the game, he'd be getting anger. And when his eyes met Bailey, like, and you, you fucking cunt, you can get the fuck. Like, I'd, I'd start walking back to Birmingham now because you're not getting back on that fucking bus with me, pal. I couldn't believe that he came back out. He was that bad in the first half. It was not the game for Leon Bailey. Just like it wasn't the game for Emmy Brindia. <laughs> Emmy Brindia is going up on the vitamin meter. That. That is an introduction. Like that's how you change the game. What what a substitution coming off the bench, and he's getting thrown in for Leon Bailey, so he's back up in that position. Which I know it's worked quite often for him as well in the past. But first first touch of the game sets up the penalty really, and then the second one just to make a mug of Connor Cody and hammer it and make a mug of Jordan Pickford, and we win the game. And we're all sitting enjoying the last ten minutes as well because he's last in the second and exactly what Emery would have wanted. We did have to weather a bit of a storm. After the first goal, I don't think it was. I don't think it was our mentality. I just think it's the way the game went. A bit of momentum, Everton got up a bit more, and you could see those times when we got the ball. You could. You, I don't know. Obviously, they've done a bit of work during the week, but obviously, a lot of the words the manager be ringing in their ears to Cash, Kanza, Mings. Like they, they got the ball, and at this stage, you no, know, like this is the one we talk about. They play it back to each other. They play it back to Martin. Sink deeper. Somebody clears it. And they all just seem to have that little oh, fuck again, and they sort of step back out again. Their body language is totally different. Just those little five yards of coming back out with the ball or dropping the shoulder. It just it creates so much time for you. It creates so much space. It gets you back up the pitch. Exactly what Emery was saying. Like you know, if you want to, if you want to see games out, pass the ball to each other, and like that was a, a noticeable change. I thought so. Maybe everybody's attitude when we went one 0 down and. Like I say, we were under a bit of pressure, but we got through that pressure and then got the second goal. Yeah, and just to come back to us playing out from the ball before playing out from the back, before we got the goal. I mean, the weird thing about us playing out from the back is is how we're trying to do it. I mean, the players are turning down early, slightly difficult passes in the hope of finding an easier one. The press isn't going to get any lighter. Like, yeah. you know, oh, he's dilly dallying. I better give him a second to figure it out. I mean, if you think that pass to Kamara is tough, giving the ball to Matt Cash in a worse position with a higher press isn't the fucking answer. You have less options over there, Matt. How's it look? Shit! Like there, there were there were moments when when it looked like we were trying to figure it out in real time. You know, during a match, pointing at each other, pointing in different directions, running the wrong way. Like, what is it again? Are you supposed to be there? I thought, like, genuinely, there were times in that first half when I was wishing I didn't support Aston Villa because it would have it was objectively hilarious how bad we were playing out from the back. And have your principles, obviously, but 
Also have a bit of flexibility. What are Everton good at? What are Aston Villa bad at? How is Sean Dice going to want to play? And how are players for Aston Villa not going to want to play? <laughs> like, imagine we were so bad at this that Sean Dice, Sean Dice has given every other manager in the Premier League a tactical blueprint on how to beat us. But even for five minutes, just stop it. Just stop. Like there, there was a period in the first half where we were under a bit of pressure and they were swinging in a lot of crosses. And the crowd were up and they were desperate. And then they had that big chance that Mopai flicked on from a corner. And then the footage comes back from the replay. And there are more Everton players in our box than there was for the corner. Like <laughs> There were three Everton players in our six-yard box and Martinez is playing it across the goal line to Konza. I mean, if you have piles, I'd prescribe watching this Aston Villa side. I mean, there's a lot of fucking arse clenching going on in that first half. <laughs> and, we, and the other thing is, we only have three players who who look like they could do this, and then another two who are useful to playing like this in Watkins and McGinn because of their running. But Jesus Christ, that first half looked ropey. And then the really irritating thing is how fucking easy it looks after that. Yeah. How easy it looks later in the game because Konza and Mings are strong. They're fast. They can step out with a the ball. They can kick the ball. They can just make the decisions quicker. That's the only thing that's holding them back. Yeah. They, they watch back and they listen us complaining about Jorginho goal where there was 10 of them in the box and they thought the way to fix that was now to make sure we never have 10 in the box again even <laughs> for a corner even when they've got men in our box we we can't be caught with so many players this deep let's just make sure we've got options out the pitch uh, going up Watkins obviously we've talked about him going up John McGinn brilliant it's good to see this John again he's been really good under Unai Emery really good since he shaved his head he's been good it's it's good to have him back from injury as well good asset <laughs> yeah and like I said he started the game well he was the one who got in and blocked the Wobi if a couple of first time passes one round the corner to JJ there's one where he kept it in in the byline as well by reading that Mikalenko was a shit footballer and just getting in and knocking the ball back into play Watkins didn't get onto it but it was just a lovely bit of noise and aggression and then the Ollie Watkins-esque first-time pop-off to Bailey at the edge of the box for that one where Onana stood on his foot, got an assist, got foiled in the box as he burst through on goal. Brilliant yeah. performance. Yeah. Going down, match of the day. I don't know if you saw this. They were trying to give a bit of praise to John McGinn and Jacob Ramsey. And they flashed up a big picture in the studio for everyone to see. Sat there for an extended period of time. Of Arn Ramsey, the Middlesbrough Loney. Fuck me. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's fucking pathetic. Yeah. Imagine the amount of eyes this has to go through. Like, they're, they're producers, they're assistant producers, they'll be researchers on a show like that. There'll be a director in the gallery. That, like, There's so many people. There would have been somebody editing that photo and getting it ready for the gallery. Like, they have it up on the big screen. There are ex-professional footballers sitting in the studio now, and Gary Lineker, and Micah Richards, and Danny Murphy. Nobody, nobody thought to say that's that's not one of England's brightest midfielders. That, well, yeah, actually, actually, it is, but that, that's not the one. We're talking. <laughs> that's not the one we're talking. They don't even they don't even look like each other. They, like I could see that they're brothers. I I could say if you told me they were brothers, I would say, oh yeah, yeah. But they don't look like each other. And one of them is Jacob Ramsey. One of them is Jacob. You should know what he looks like. 
Yeah, but like, how could you have possibly thought that all those people you mentioned could possibly have seen this mistake when their heads are all aflutter with the 4-1 victory for Man City, with Arsenal's game, <laughs> with whatever the fuck Liverpool were doing this week? You know, <laughs> there's a cup final on tomorrow, Conan, don't you know? How the fuck could they possibly have, have been able to think about any other club whenever the big six were all doing things this weekend as well? Yeah. Going up, I have to give Emmy Martin as you feel like we've been hammering over the last couple of weeks, which is not natural for us. Not nice. We love Emmy Martin as brilliant goalkeeper. Good to see him get a clean sheet. Couple of couple of saves in there as well. Yeah, I think he he deserves to go up on the Vima meter after a, after a few tough weeks for him. Yeah, he had a couple of good saves. Didn't have a whole lot to do, but he he did, he did the things that he had to do well. Anybody else in particular you want to highlight to go up, or is that everything? That's that's it. You might put Anthony Taylor down as well. I mean, there was a stage, there was a stage in that game where the commentators kept saying he's given himself plenty of time to think, to think about it, and they were taking the piss out of him when they were saying it. But neither of them seemed particularly perturbed by the idea of Anthony Taylor thinking. I mean, the last thing anyone needs in this world is Anthony Taylor thinking. Just go on instinct, Anthony. I mean, think think about how it feels. Other games you've you've ref, not the ones you've ref, sorry, other games that you've seen, just other football matches. And the balance of probability is that you'll you'll get more decisions right if you just started than if you just started thinking. I mean, to be honest, I'd say if Anthony Taylor just stood in the halfway line, blindfolded, and intermittently blew blew his whistle and randomly pointed his arm in the direction of either Pickford or Martinez, you'd probably find that he'd get more decisions right in the game than if he tried to fucking ref it. <laughs> yeah, he'd probably be quicker to raise his arm as well, blindfolded. That was very frustrating. Like, you could just... I find myself... You would see a tackle... And then I, I shouldn't have to watch Anthony Taylor for four seconds to see what's going to happen. <laughs> that's that, that's just too long, a couple of seconds too long, where you think, oh, maybe this is going to be carried. And then the arm would very slowly raise out to whatever direction he was given. Although, what I will say is that I feel like he was on Aston Villa's side, probably in large part to Connor Cody. So thanks for that. Nice guy, Connor Cody. So yeah. I wasn't yeah. that put out by Anthony Taylor's performance because of that. Yeah, it's absolutely hilarious. I mean, I'd say if, if Stuart Atwell or Jared Gillett or even Clement Turpin were refing, were refing that game, we would have been spanked in the first half because Anthony Taylor had no fucking interest in <laughs> in letting it flow. He was given so many free kicks to Aston Villa, their free kicks four or five years ago, whenever refing was shit. <laughs> Questions we can't answer, but probably will. Are Newcastle toast? Are they finally done? <laughs> This is um, yeah, maybe maybe a, a bit of a weird one considering they've just played in a major cup final <laughs> today. But this is a bad run for them now. It's uh, seven games I think without a without a victory in the league. Now this is eight in the cup. They've obviously lost United. I think the the thing that was most telling for me in asking the question already toast is we sort of knew they were going to lose this one, and that's just a long way that they've come from a couple of months ago when Newcastle were right in the mix and you never knew what they were going to do. Actually, you knew they were going to have a really solid defence and they were going to be in every game and probably not lose them. But now it felt like they were definitely going to lose that today. Maybe that's a large part down to Rashford. Maybe we should do another victory lap for you with Marcus Rashford as well, where you did once proclaim when I said, why is Marcus Rashford so shit? But this is what you get from me. You said... Marcus Rashford has never had a coach. <laughs> and that was about Josie Mourinho and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And I never forgot it. And when I saw Man United... Because <laughs> I was keeping the receipts, hoping that it wouldn't pay off for you. <laughs> when I saw Man United getting a good coach, getting the rack together, and I see Marcus Rashford scoring 
every fucking game. Um, I think you're deserved a bit of credit as well somewhere along the way. How much credit am I really deserving of? You know, football obsessive can see brilliant footballer is brilliant. It's not exactly a fucking headline. Like football, football obsessive can see that a manager who does nothing probably knows nothing. I mean, mm. I could spot that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had nothing useful to say to Marcus Rashford. That's because I could hear that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had nothing useful to say to anyone. Like, you know, football obsessive can see that a manager who thinks calling his players shit is the only job, might not be getting the best out of a, out of a brilliant young forward who he's playing as an auxiliary left-back. You know, I'm not a fucking genius for spotting that. I mean, I think I think if I was to cash those checks, I'll, I'll get about fucking 60 cent in total. And the, the interesting thing about Saudi Arabia isn't that they're on a bad run. It's that they were on a good run for so long because Saudi Arabia aren't there in terms of personnel. I mean, that the last thing I want to do is egg on their prime minister or whatever his title is they're not a they're not a top six side i mean it, it was it was good crack slagging off jack Grealish, but almiron is shit you know <laughs> Ka- callum wilson has only played 30 games a season five times in his career you know, he, he's hit du- he's hit double figures and just about twice in the premier league once in the championship and once in league one this is his 13th season you know, Alan Saint Saint Maximum is as bad a footballer as John Terry is a friend. I mean, he's like he's like Harry, he's like Harry Maguire on cocaine, but and a bike to be fair. But he's absolutely atrocious. I mean, we slag Bertrand Troy off for how how careless he is on the ball, but you know, at least whenever he does something bonkers, there's something there. He's like you know, he's seen something that could have existed in another plane of existence. Like Saint, in Saint Maximum. In another sport, so Maximum just passes the ball to the opposition. Like he looks up and he picks out Ferran or Casemiro. Like Dan Dan Byrne plays left back for Newcastle. One of the long staffs. I don't know which one, Conan. One of them started the cup <laughs> final. Like, and, and they apparently perpetually concussed Loris Carius. Had the starting goals for them as well in the cup <laughs> final. They're not that good a side. Yeah, like. It, it is one of the things that, where Eddie Howe then does deserve some credit because I've said this before and I, 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 I've, I've gotten frustrated at this before that Newcastle aren't fucking good they've, they've signed a whole new defence so of course they're going to be better they've signed a really good midfielder in Bruno Gamares so that's a very good starting point for them too but then the rest of like Longstaff I think Longstaff is trying to be Tom Cleverley. This is where he's at that's not good that's not a good ambition you have, <laughs> you have to think bigger than that uh, Willock is all right, you know. I, I just felt like the ah, if you're bringing on Willock to try and to fucking turn a cup final oh, around, you're not going to turn it around. Starting most of the season as well, though, and then like, this is where they really got caught out then because once they once they did finally get a couple of injuries, which they were lucky, they dictate a void really until February. Everything just started getting upended. Jolinton, who's not even that good, but does a job for them on the on the left, then has to come in the midfield, which is throwing off. Then who is it? That's when you have to play Alan St. Maximum. And then everything just starts working back. And, and, you know, now we're starting to really wonder why did they bother signing Anthony Gordon? Did they think that they were at that stage where they just needed to throw in a sub winger just in case they needed him? They have a lot more surgery to do in the front five, really. And uh, yeah, so they've done well so far to get to this point and still be in contention. But I think they would do well to to hang on to that contention. Yeah, look, we can all look forward to them spending two hundred million every summer now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Anyway, um, yeah, it's just delayed another cup final for them or another or a potential cup victory for them. But thanks a million for listening. We'll leave it there. We've got the victory. We've got Crystal Palace next. We do have a couple of nice fixtures coming up. Not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. I've just said it. But uh, we'll chat to you. <laughs> we'll chat to you then. Enjoy this one. All the best. That wind is calling my name. And I-